1: Well, in the hospitality business, I know that it takes three to five years to start seeing a profit. Now, some people don't have that kind of patience, but you also have to be able to figure out very carefully as you're budgeting everything and making sure you're working within the budget that you're going to be able to survive that three and a five years before. And you can start seeing it starting to turn just before the fifth year starts.
0: Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of RHP and a new episode in our Mastermind series. This is where we choose a single topic and gather some of the best conversations from some of the best guests we've had over the last six years. And today is a really good one, especially for those of you who are starting over. Maybe you just went through a big breakup or changed careers. Maybe you lost your job or you finally launched your last kid off into adult life and now you're trying to figure out what comes next. Today's guests have navigated these waters. They have the most incredible stories about <clears throat> they have the most incredible stories about the specific tactics that they use to rebuild again. We're going to hear from Shayla Johnson, who not only rebuilt her life, but an incredible career with a second and third act after a really hard divorce. We're going to hear from Molly Sims, who has had the most amazing career, first as a model, then as a producer, now as an entrepreneur. We're going to hear from Steve-O. How do you come back after addiction and hitting rock bottom to launch an entirely new life, career, and relationships? We are talking about it all. So if you are at a crossroads, if you are starting over again, or you know someone else who is, please listen to this episode and share with anyone you think will dig it. Happy listening
2: first and foremost it's a love story the impetus for it was uh kind of frustration over all the community guidelines and sensitivity and and uh you can't do this you can't do that so i just wanted to just go overboard and do like really really crazy stuff Even stuff that I wouldn't be allowed to do for Jackass. Yeah,
0: so that's what I was going to ask is, back in the day, were you guys, did you have the freedom when the show first started to do anything or were you Mm. sort of guided?
2: No, when the show first started, it it was on MTV. I remember when it first got ordered from the pilot. They told me, it's not a pilot anymore. They've ordered eight episodes so get ready to film and right away send us all of your best video footage so that maybe we can license it, you know, acquire it and put it on the show. Yeah. What are
0: you using like a camcorder?
2: Yeah. It was a VHS C.
0: didn't want to say that, but I was <laughs> yeah. like, it probably was. What, yeah. what, what, why? Where did and that come from?
2: Th- this was at a time when the video camera was not, household item. Absolutely. Let alone in everybody's pockets. And the reason uh, I was able to start making videos when I was 15, my dad was um like a wildly successful corporate executive. Okay. Yeah, he um sort of headed up American multinational corporations in various countries around the world. So I grew up in five different countries, spoke three different languages. And um, dad participated in a a corporate golf tournament, and won this video camera, which I promptly stole from his closet. And um, and I just got off to the races. My uh, priority was making skateboarding videos. The show would be free to the public, and which would, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be packed, but it would be like a healthy, good-sized audience. You know, I, I made kind of a bad impression, like, because we would be in the... And in the facility at 8 a.m., and we would like train until 10 p.m. So, yeah, that's 14 hours, you know, minus breaks to eat. Um, and then at 10 p.m., then I'd get drunk, <laughs> you know, then, I get, then I'm gonna start drinking. Yeah, so I'm drinking until like two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm drunk like two in the morning, and then I gotta wake up and you know, do it all over again. Yeah. And uh, in the first week. Cause I was a skateboarding was still my thing. And, and I was like, I was just like fireballs and fire breathing backflips and drunk and skateboarding like every night, like, like it wasn't enough for me. Like then, and now I got to get everybody look at me, look at me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh I, I was jumping my skateboard down this staircase that had like kind of a, a beam you know, supporting the, the balcony above it. And I hit my head on the beam and like pretty badly like kind of gashed my head like i clearly needed medical attention and i said i'm not going anywhere until i get a photo you know somebody's got to take a photo of all this blood pouring down and i'm like covered in blood like ah i got the photo and i said okay all right, I, I get it. I, I gotta go to the hospital, but let's make this fucking quick because I know this is a bad look. <laughs> you know, not the best first impression to be making in in week in one. In week one,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. And so I go to the hospital, and they're like, "Yeah, you need like five staples to like staple the gash closed." And I and um and I was like, "Whatever it is." F- Fucking hurry because there are these clowns waiting in the waiting room and I do not want to keep them waiting. I really need to hurry up and get the fuck out of here. I think I was like, okay, cool. I'll just shoot up. I'll just give you this anesthesia injection to numb it up. And I was like, I don't have fucking time for that. Fuck the the in injection. Just just pump in the staples. The guy had like never even, I don't think, heard of that. But but he pumped in one. I was like, cool, okay. You know?
0: Wait, do you feel like you have like a higher pain <laughs> no. tolerance or?
2: No, I just have a uh, my 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 need for attention outweighs my need for comfort.
0: Got it.
2: Um, but yes, yeah, so, so like they pumped in all five staples, and the guy was like, all right, well you're not gonna be able to get these staples out, like. It's is not going to happen. Like you have to come back, and you have to come back to get them out because if it heals over it, then that's like super bad.
0: Did you feel like this lasts forever, or did were you? Oh God, on? no! No, you knew. You were like, okay, enjoy. God out. no! Make hay yeah. while
2: the sun shines. For sure. Yeah. I mean, and like I, I love that question. In the beginning, I think that with the video camera on top of being able to manipulate people's perception of you by editing you know, what happened. Not only does editing allow you to manipulate people's perception of you, but once you've created that edited version, like it's effectively forever. Mm-hmm. You know, like as I was on the way out of the University of Miami and everybody was feeling sorry for me being such a tragic loser, like I lacked the basic Survival skills to navigate the world as we know it. I could not make it to class. I could not, there's no hope of me graduating from college. I could not keep a job. Like any job I ever tried to have, I had been fired from everything. Like I had jobs for every denomination of days from one to like two weeks. Yeah. Like I got fired from everything. So I'm like, I, I can't, I, I'm not equipped to survive. I'm going to die like having failed at life right and what i was doing with the video camera felt like a kind of a frantic scramble to pack my message into the bottle so that maybe i could be discovered posthumously wow and be like the van Gogh the video camera you know whatever i believed i was just like this is it you know and i think that we all if we're gonna die in our 90s we still have a crazy mortality complex yeah You know, we got one instinct is to survive and one guarantee, which is we won't. The the feeling was that, all right, a third Jackass movie. Now you guys are like, you know, pushing 40. It's kind of not cute anymore. Like, it's over. Yeah. You know, and and that like when I was trying to like make things happen in the traditional sort of entertainment industry complex, like. It was just banging my head against a wall like yeah. i couldn't get anything greenlit. you know yeah. like like the entertainment machine was just done with me was how it felt yeah you know i had gotten into stand-up comedy in 2010 i started touring comedy clubs and I, and you know i was getting by but it, it wasn't there there was no like sure the, the, no confidence that that was really going to be something i was just giving it hell because it was all that i had and, you know, trying to make things happen. And, like, then Knoxville is making a jackass movie without the jackass guys, the big grandpa or the bad grandpa oh, movie. Oh, right. Yeah. And, I mean, nothing against him yeah. or, or the thing. But, but like, we didn't know what it was. Yeah. It was like, oh, there's a new jackass movie and we're not in it. Yeah. Like, that felt pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I had one TV show that, that um, I hosted – but, like, I quit the show because um, they had all this, these things with animals that, like, I wasn't comfortable doing. And then I was like, no more animals. I'm out. And so I got replaced, and that was gone. And I just, like, got to a really pretty dark spot in 2013. And that was when a, a like, dear friend of mine, my buddy Sam Macaroni, was like, dude, you got to get on YouTube.
1: Mm. and
2: And to me, that was the most, like, humiliating concept like wow. way i like I've been I've been in like number one box office movies you know three of them I've had tv shows with my name in the title of the tv show now I'm going to turn around and upload youtube videos that felt like such a gnarly demotion I had no idea that there was like a meaningful like way to make a career out of that I just thought it was just low-level attention whoring that like regular people do and then like I had my whole thing with like I was I was chemically sober since 2008 but like I was I was really like being a scumbag like acting out sexually and so I like got proactive about addressing that and and really working to become the man that the love of my life deserves and uh part of that quest for me just because of the way I do things like I I was like purely celibate like i did not even relieve myself by myself for how long the entire year of 2014 holy shit it was it came to 431 days and I mean, it's pretty extreme, and like yeah. I, I kind of stuntified my sexual recovery, my mm. sexual sobriety. But it was important to me because I wanted to not only establish for myself that I could do that, but I wanted to establish for my future partner that yeah. I could do that. I wanted to distance myself from being a scumbag, and that that was how I did that. I had less than a million Facebook followers by the end of that year. I had eight million. Holy like shit. Uh, I had like I don't know like. Th- a good few million subscribers on, on you. Like I would like, I had took control of my career back from the fuck faces that were done with me. Yeah. And so that's what happened in the interim. So cool. I, I, I religiously belligerently toured the comedy club circuit for 11 years. And like every week in a different city, groundhog's day, the whole thing, like the repetition, like, and and I really, like, kind of under the radar, too, because people were, you know, I, I didn't want, like, I wasn't really comfortable being like, hey, I'm doing stand-up comedy. Right. I felt like people would kind of look sideways at that, you know, like with oh, Steve-O doing stand-up. Yeah. So I just, you know, I, I just kind of did my thing. And, and 11 years in the comedy club circuit, and then, like, I got to a point where I graduated to big theaters. And, and over the course of, of my live comedy career gradually it became multimedia my world started bleeding together Mm. like my first special was just me on stage with the microphone doing like some intermittent stunts throughout the show my second special was me on stage with the microphone and like footage of the stories that i told edited in after the fact Mm. in post-production like in interstitially to illustrate the stories that I was telling.
0: Yeah. So it was like a,
2: like a a really original um, multimedia comedy special. But for that whole tour, I didn't use it as a crutch. Like it was just me and a microphone. The show was successful in its own right. Just when it came out as a special, it had the added layer of footage.
0: But then the new one.
2: Yeah. So the, the set after the second one, then I was like, okay, now I want to bring footage on the tour. Now I want there to be a, like a multimedia component to the tour. And now I want my material to not be mined from my past. You know, like it had gotten yeah. a little bit like sort of living in the past, which was yeah. great. There was a lot of material, but I didn't want to live in the past anymore. I wanted to create new stories and I wanted to create new footage that was just far beyond like anything that I'd ever done before so like lashing out at community guidelines like because that is frustrating yeah i wanted to do shit that i could never even do for jackass you know i wanted to do shit that like straight up just would be so gnarly but to, why to, to kind of just raise the bar mm. you know raise the bar for crazy like um i knew that that by going through with All of the stunts that I call my bucket list that, like, it would lend itself to material because the shit's so crazy. And I did find the love of my life. You know, we met in 2017. So we've been together for almost seven years. Awesome. Like, it would be impossible for me to do the things I did for my bucket list without there being dire implications on my relationship yeah and in some cases there weren't really dire implications in some cases what was fascinating was just how totally just okay with this shit
0: i am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
1: When I was very young, you know, this gets a little complicated because I moved around so many times and finally settled in a town of Maywood, Illinois. And that's where I really started my music career at the age of nine. Wow. I just fell in love with the violin. It was something that was required by all the students in the District 89 that they had to pick up an instrument, and the violin was my instrument of choice. From the moment I picked it up and started taking lessons and really getting pretty good at it, I knew this was what I really wanted to do, and I call this Act One of my life. So I remember being in the eighth grade and standing on the stage playing Boyne's Perpetual Motion and getting a standing ovation, wow. and I knew then I said, I'm definitely going to perform. I'm going to play in symphonies. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And went on and got into the University of Illinois School of Music and studied there, but also became quite proficient and was part of the Illinois String Research Project. I'm going to try and cut this one <laughs> a little short here because it's it's kind of long, but ended up going to Europe and performing and working with the Illinois String Research Project from that point on, then moved to New Jersey, uh, yeah, to Princeton, New Jersey, and played with the Trenton Symphony. From that point on, we then moved to Washington, D.C., and that's where I started teaching at Sidwell Friends School, only making $7,200 a year. And I said, There is just no way I can continue. To do this. So that's really the beginning of my entrepreneurial endeavor. Got it. I had to figure out what we needed to do to make a living. I married young. Same. Everybody around me saw the red flags. I denied it. I said, I'm in love. He was charming. You know, he doted on me until we got married. And then everything, all the way up to my wedding night, left me. My mother shows up and she goes, let's get out of here. Wow. I said, but mom, I don't want to. I'm, I love him. I'm sure he'll change. Maybe he's scared. You know, I had every right. excuse in the book.
0: Because we see things not as they are, but as we are. So we we exactly. make excuses for how we would behave in a situation. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And um, I really thought I could change him. But I didn't know what a narcissist was. Yeah. But my mother did, my teachers around me. It was just unbelievable. And what had happened, those people that criticized him, he shut them out of my life. My mother, my teachers, he didn't want me near them because they knew the truth.
0: Yeah, they cut off your access to anybody who would speak against them.
1: And so I just threw myself into getting that company started, keeping a roof over our heads, working really hard, Teaching, I was an orchestra conductor. you know I was able to turn a, a wonderful house in Upper Northwest Washington into my studio bought it for I think I bought it for 115 thousand was able to flip it for over a half a million. Wow you know because I knew the tax laws. I knew I could write off one third of the house. I was a pretty good entrepreneur. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. I knew what I was doing. The orchestra became very, very famous. It's what paid the bills during the times of getting this startup. But the harder I worked, the more I was being erased. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and I think the harder you work, it's almost, to me, I think the same as like if you drink, or if you did something to numb, the work becomes like this buffer between you and the truth.
1: That's exactly it. And,
0: you know, put my head down. I'm just going to get the job done. Let's just get to the new year. Let's just get to summer. Let's just, and then you're not really seeing what's really going on.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah. And it's only really in hindsight, I think, that you can see it in a totally different way.
1: Oh, yeah. So as I move through the darkest part of my life and decided the last affair was it. I just, and that's when I confronted him about it because this was a woman that he was promoting as CEO of the company. Oh, good grief. You know, <laughs> I, I am not oh, kidding no. you. It was the most humiliating thing I'd ever seen because she, she hadn't put the work in. I was right. putting the work in. Right. It was just that she made herself very available to him yeah. in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just infuriated me and I even told him then I said you're really setting yourself up for something
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I said you just wait till it hits yep so sure enough that's when I demanded that we sell the company yeah and I remember being in New York City at Times Square and the ticker tape was going around the with the LED whatever it is the BET had been sold for 3 billion dollars I said this is perfect this is now and I had already filed.
0: So wait, what, what year is this and how old are you at this point? This was in 2000,
1: 2002.
0: Okay. And you were how old?
1: Okay. <laughs> got to do the <laughs> roughly, math. Roughly,
0: roughly. I just, the, the I likelihood of... I was in
1: my 50s. Okay. Okay. And
0: you, the company you co-founded just sold for $3 billion, billion with yes. a B yes and simultaneously your personal life is falling is, apart
1: it's just fallen apart my mental health had fallen apart it was amazing so first of all i had to get a i got a really good lawyer and yeah. we were able and this lawyer knew everything these everyone knew what was going on except me mm. You know, and it was humiliating. It was so much betrayal. Yeah. The Washington Post played into it. Mm -hmm. Every time I'd open the post, the two of them, you know, pictures of them. It was like Washington, D.C. was having a field day with this, you know, and I would go to friends. I was very lonely and I would go to friends and I would say, I've got to get out of this marriage. And they would say, you can't do that. As a black woman, you're the king and queen of media. You can't, I had no support. Not only were they siding with him, they were giving her the okay. Right. To just keep running around right. with him. Right,
0: right. You know,
1: and I felt at that time that there must be something wrong with me. I couldn't do anything right. Mm. I even got pregnant, lost the baby at birth. Mm. Mm. At pre- and I blamed oh. myself. Oh, my God. Again, I couldn't do anything right. I couldn't do anything to please him. The more I tried, the worse it got. And the other person was prettier, thinner, you know, right? Smarter, Ivy League background, all this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm like, you and I went to the same college. Don't even give me that crap, right? You know, right? So it it was just like I felt like I was on an island, yeah. And this island was going down further and further and further. I had no support whatsoever. It was so ugly, even the woman's child was in the same class as my child.
0: Oh, no. Oh, God. So,
1: I mean, and so I would get calls from the school, what is going on in your family? You know. So it was that kind of thing, but I had no support. Right. And the more I tried to talk to people, they were saying, you're just imagining this. It's not true. Maybe there is something wrong with you. Right. I mean, they played right into the sickness that was going on. Yeah, yeah. And so I was sinking deeper and deeper into depression. And I remember my daughter saying, Mom, you know, most of my life you were depressed. Mm. And that's when it really hit me hard. You know,
0: she said that as an adult. to Yes. Yeah.
1: I was just surprised. You know, finally, she now saying, Mom, you're a badass. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, but it really hit me hard well, in the hospitality business. I know that it takes three to five years. To start seeing a profit. Now, some people don't have that kind of patience, but you also have to ha- be able to figure out very carefully as you're budgeting everything and making sure you're working within the budget that you're gonna be able to survive that three and a five years before. And you can start seeing it starting to turn just before the fifth year starts. And since then, it's been great. Yeah. You know, it's but been so few great.
0: people will ever get to the five year mark.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I know with team ownership, you don't make money until you sell it. But then sometimes, you know, you get investors into the team that help you make a little bit of money. You're able to see some things back. You learn how to um, invest your money wisely. It, it becomes like a, a really funny game. But I still feel that insecurity when I found my mother on the floor and not having money. Do you know I have like 15 piggy banks? Still. Still with money in them.
3: Oh, man.
0: I got
1: to give it a name. I don't know what this obsession is, but I know it stems back to the insecurities of not having anything as I was growing up.
0: Yeah, I heard uh, Tyler Perry say this once. If you've ever been hungry, then you'll never be full. Right. And I really resonate with that. Oh, yeah. It's like you think, oh, if I get if I get to here, if I get to there, if I then I'll feel calm. And if I'm not really conscious of it, I'll find myself being like, oh, I have to work
1: harder no, and do more. You can lose everything tomorrow. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's real. And
1: I can live with that. I can go back to scrubbing floors. <laughs> I can flip pancakes or whatever I have to do. And even in my hotels when we're super busy I help bus tables, and they, they go, oh, don't do that. I yeah. said, no, you're overwhelmed. I'm doing it. Yeah. No job is below me.
3: Mm.
1: No job. And then my employees, they look at it. The, they respect yeah, me for that. Yeah,
0: that's rad.
1: And that's what's really important. Every one of my employees, uh, I value them, all the way down to the women and men that make up the rooms. Yeah. You know.
2: Uh, they so all have
1: a name. Yeah. They all have an identity and I do value them.
3: You know, I'm, I think like you, I've always been curious. I've always been a hustler. My mom would always like, she would always make fun of herself. I'm making shit happen. You know, I've always, I've come from that. I am that. I love storytelling and I love creating and I love problem solving. And I think it's really served me. Listen, I loved loved my few years at Vanderbilt and then living in Europe and modeling, but I also knew very early on that I just didn't think that modeling was going to be my end-all be-all. So I did see early on, not the writing on the wall, but just more of what I wanted to take from it and then build upon it. And so that's why I never, you know, when people were like, oh, because there was a like and." six, seven, you're like, you can't, you could admit that you were a model because you're an actress now, you know, you have to be taken serious. And I, I never wanted that because modeling gave me my base, gave me my foundation, gave me doors that would never open had I not um, been a model. So it's been, I think also, (laughs) I was a little bit late meeting my husband. How old were you guys when you met? I was 37 or 38. Okay. And so I turned 40 and my baby turned one. Um, He's now 11. And I got pregnant on my honeymoon. I have three babies now. And so I think the last 10 years has really also been, how can I be with them? How can I be a wife? How can I be a mom and still have what I have, but also not be sitting in a trailer in New Mexico? Yes, But the problem didn't go away. And with every baby, it got worse. Mm -hmm. And hyperpigmentation or melasma is like a darkening of the skin. It can be in a dot. It can be in a patch. It can be in a certain area on your skin. And it's really, really hard to treat. And so as one being in the fashion world and the beauty business and available to go to any dermatologist, I would do that. And I would go get a peel. And it would be great it would be so good. My skin would look amazing. And then I would go out into the sun and I would tell my girlfriend or my husband, I'm like, why do, I, why do I look so dark again? And then I would do a laser and then I'd have another baby. And then it just became like everything really expensive and drastic. And then I started on a product called hydroquinone. Which is a lightning active that you get at your derm that you cannot use when you're pregnant and it is terrible for you. And I basically kind of got addicted to that and I would use it for about three months. And yes, I wasn't dark or brown, I didn't have uneven skin, but I was red and I was dry and I was irritated. And the moment I would go in the sun, if you take hydroquinone or if you use it, it makes you super, super sun sensitive. Mm. So finally into, and I would take POTS. And no one knew this. Well, I gained a bunch of weight. I gained like, I think 90 something pounds with my first baby. I didn't know that my thyroid was way off. I weighed 204 on June. I know, Rachel's like, what? The-? No, 204 when I went into Cedars, uh, 2011, sorry, 2012, um, June 19th. And my mom had said to me, she was like, I think something's wrong with you. And I was like, I know I've been saying it, but I think because I was so thin as a model, like maybe people think like I'm overeating. I go, mom, I'm not. Like I'm not. I swear to God, like I think something's wrong. I ended up having a massive thyroid problem. Like I had major hypothyroidism. My neck was swollen. I thought it was pregnancy or I was super tired. I thought it was pregnancy or after the baby. Oh, you just had a baby. You're tired. So I had that. And then that kind of got figured out. You know, you, I got on, did the right blood test, did the biopsies to make sure there was no cancer. I'm good to go. But with my skin, then I had to lose all the weight, but that's another story. But with my skin, I just couldn't, it was like, I could never not wear makeup. And it was awful. And it made me really sad. It made me really, to, to, to go from being this really confident girl to not. And I would carry matte concealer. I still have it, still use it actually. But I could kind of patchwork with this concealer. It was just in a little pot. It was totally my color. Still is today. And I would just patch it up. Until in 2019, my my husband said, He's like, Your face looks a little dirty in here. You know, you need to wash it. And I was like, Oh my God, that's my hyperpigmentation. <laughs> And I was like, I I have to change. I have to do something. I have to change something. So I stopped everything. I haven't done a peel or a laser since 2019. I took about 15 products, maybe 20. And I would start. And I did my own concoction of my cocktail. And I would do this certain product once or twice a week. And then I would do this one. And then I would do Glytone. And then I would do all of these together. And after about four months, three months... Someone said to me, and I can't remember who it was now, your skin looks really good. And I was like, I know. I was like, I kind of think so too. Six months went by, then we hit COVID. So then I would start bringing my box. I would buy the girls, my girlfriends, all the different things. And then I would label what they needed to do because everybody has different skin. And so some are really, really strong. And the problem when you're dealing with hyperpigmentation or melasma, everything that's super, super, super strong is either A, ugly, or too strong, or something that looks really amazing and cool is too really, like, there's no efficacy. Yeah, it
0: doesn't actually work. It doesn't
3: actually work. And so out of that, Wise Beauty was born. Cool. And I was thinking about switching managers, and the woman that I wanted to be with, she was like, well, what's your five-year plan? And I was like, I have like a three-month plan. Um, she goes, okay, well, when you know, come back to me. And I was like, oh, okay. And we were in deep COVID. I was like, but then I met a woman that I was like, started consulting with named Kim Krusberger, And she was like, well, do you see any white space? Like, do you want to write another book? Like, what do you want to do? And I go, well, hold on. So I went down and I, I went upstairs, got all my 15, 20 things. I go, this is my system. She goes, what are you talking about? I go, this is, this is my system. I go, I'm not a derm. I go, I'm not an esthetician. I go, but this, this works. This works, yeah. And I go, if I can figure out how many days to do this one, this one, this one. I go, I, I got rid of all my stuff. And she was like, really? And I go, yeah. And so I ended up meeting with a manufacturer And they thought it, they thought I was crazy. And I became a guinea pig for three years. Wow. And so that is called Wise Beauty and it's a brightening line that helps with, you know, people who've picked really bad pimples, Mm -hmm. right? So we have a brightening treatment that you can spot treatment or do it all over at night. But there was one here, there's a couple hero products that really changed my skin. And the problem was like some of these incredible brands. They were amazing, but they were too strong. And no woman, especially a mom, is going to be like, you're just going to use it once a week. Like, you're not. (laughs) You're going to forget, I promise you. And so we created um, Your Favorite X pads. That's what they're called, Your Favorite X exfoliating pads. They're a double-sided pad. The whole routine is made for sensitive skin, and it's non-comedogenic. You can use everything while you're pregnant except I wouldn't use the retinol, even though it's a gentle retinol. And it gives you that balance of being off that roller coaster because Mm -hmm. we always, you know, and even me, I always used to think like, if it's more expensive, it's better. Yeah, And or, but more doesn't mean more. And more expensive doesn't mean better. And that I have truly learned. When we interviewed Derms all over the United States, the one thing that they said was, Either women did nothing with their skin, there's no exfoliation, or they've totally fucked their barrier, mm. meaning your skin barrier, meaning they've done too many lasers. They've, they're have they trying to do too harsh, too much microdermabrasion, which taking off layers and layers of the skin. And that is what happened when I would use these really strong derm systems They would work, but then they would make me red or irritated. And then the moment I walked into the sun. Yeah, which is like,
0: you're not a vampire. You can't actually stay. And I don't live like that. You know,
3: like I really don't. Like that's what a lot of women I think love. They love the names I have. It's basically all about like living your life. I have the morning cocktail, which is my vitamin C. And it's how I use it. I interviewed so many women were like, I'm like, why do you not use vitamin C? You have to, whatever you do, if anybody listening on this podcast, you have to use vitamin C. Niacinamide, you have to have that, whether you're using Wise Beauty or not. But the number one reason why people don't use vitamin C, especially women, it smells. Mm. People don't, like it smells. Like, have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I use it. The texture is sticky. Yeah, yeah. And it peels under makeup. Mm. So with my morning cocktail, it's efficacious. You need it first thing in the morning. And then you need to do SPF after, but it's, it's efficacious. It doesn't peel underneath your makeup. So I can mix it, put it on, put on a full face or not a face at all. And yeah. it stays and it's not sticky yeah. and it doesn't smell. Yeah, I was trying, I was pregnant with, um, my second child was Scarlett in 2015. And I was again, trying to stay at home. So I was doing a follow-up because everyday supermodel hit the New York times bestseller. I'm like, let me do something. So I did everyday chic And it was more about organization and just being a mom and calendaring, but kind of within your home. And I needed, I wanted this chapter to be like, cause you know, when you're pregnant, you're just like constantly nesting and you're constantly like putting shit together. And I wanted an organization chapter and I couldn't find anyone. And Instagram was kind of starting to be in its heyday. And I reached out to these two women, Clea and Joanna from the home edit. And I said, I've never paid for content, but I'm writing a book. I would love for you to come out. You can use the pictures. If I can use the pictures and can you help me write, you know, this section on organization? Sure, no problem. So they're in my pantry and they, and my husband at the time had a deal with, um, with Universal. And I wanted him to start to get into TV. He mainly did film with his production company. And I mean, they were laughing in there in the pantry. They were crying. I mean, it's a small space. I'm like, you have to listen to these two women. They're crazy and amazing. And so I worked with them for like two or three days. And I said, you could be on TV. Like, you really could. Like, you guys are phenomenal. And their work was phenomenal. And it was like colorful. And I'm like, so help them get an agent at WME. And then we ended up selling a show to Hello Sunshine. Yeah. And then Reese did her AT&T through her deal. We did a digital short, you know, series. And then we all got it back. That ended and we pitched Netflix and they picked it up for two seasons. And that's ultimately how it started. They're phenomenal. How cool. And that was kind of like my producing bug. That's, yeah. And I don't do really reality anymore. I, I never really wanted to do reality. And then I ended up getting a really famous book called The Last Mrs. Parish randomly. And with that, I got another book and another book. And then so I'm like your thriller girl. So
0: what do you mean you you say you like you ended up getting...
3: Were you in a bidding war for the rights to that book
0: or... Just I just got,
3: of, got lucky. I wow. got lucky. I, I'm a really avid reader. I Same. read a lot. Like I can read like... I read a book that was 600 pages in two days. And like I have three kids and a lot of companies. But I am really good and I can just tell if something yeah yeah it started with the last Mrs. Parish. and I called Liza Chasen who I'd known for a couple of years through my husband and Margaret Churn at Three Dot I'm like I think we can get this book I know you don't know this book but you need to read this book and I know I've never made anything but a reality show but I want you to be my partner and I want to go try to get this book and I'm sure she thought I was crazy and we got the book
0: And so you have to, you have to pitch the author on like, this is what we're going to, oh, wow.
3: We just got a book with Lisa Jewell. Do you know Lisa Jewell? Oh my God. She just, well, she's written like 20 bucks, but we are making, um, none of this is true. And I ended up getting it um, with Adam Rosenberg, who's phenomenal. I don't know. I'm really good at spotting really good IP and Mm -hmm. really good content. And I'm willing to take a chance. My, First, she wasn't my first grade teacher, but she was a first grade teacher where I go to school. And a friend of mine had asked me to read a script. Rachel, a lot of people asked me or my husband to read a lot of your your husband's brother's cousin's fiance's neighbor's dog asked us to read a script. And so she was like, "No, it's Julie Paiva. She's one of the first grade teachers." And I was like, "She was like, she's a writer." I'm like, "Okay, okay, okay, you're a writer, <laughs> okay." And um, I'm like, okay, I'll read it. And she's like, oh, she wrote a part in there for you. And I I read it and I was like, huh. It's called Kinda Pregnant. And I was like, that's that's a weird, universal, great script. And I asked her, I'm like, oh, who do you have involved? You know, do, what producers do you have on it? And she's like, oh, I have this and this. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, well, come back to me. I go, I, I don't know what I can do, but I don't know. I like your script. Yeah. So sure enough, six months later, it's about three years ago, she was like, okay, I'm ready. And I was like, okay. But I liked it. And it was about a woman. It's a, a comedy. It's about a woman who thinks she's 35 or 36. She thinks she's getting engaged. All her friends are pregnant. She thinks she's getting engaged. And she he asked her for a threesome. And it's called Kind of Pregnant. And... <laughs> We start next year with Amy Schumer. Oh, cool. And so when Adam Sandler called me, I submitted it to his company, Happy Madison. I had just made the wrong missy with them and a couple of other things. I, I literally, I almost fell off my chair. And so they're partnering with me and they're incredible. And when I called my teacher to tell her that Amy Schumer and Adam Sandler are producing her movie, I she died. So this is literally a first grade teacher who Mm. wrote a script Mm.
0: and then got it to you,
3: Mm. do you have an instinct
0: around like this is something I should read or you were just trying to be nice? I was
3: totally only trying to be nice. I did not want to read it whatsoever.
0: I think that one of the greatest ways that we can be leaders is whenever we find something that helps us, we send it to someone else. Like I'm reading a book right now that I absolutely love. And I do this every time I read or learn. If I find something that I love, I immediately am like, okay, who needs this? I'm constantly sending out in the world. So this podcast is helpful to you. Please send it along. Now, the first thing that I did that I think is so freaking key is I allowed myself the time to grieve. I allowed myself the time to heal. I know so many people who go through a breakup and have someone immediately. Like they find a person to date as soon as they possibly can. And this never, this never goes well this does not go well. I mean, I couldn't even fathom dating someone else when I went through my break. I I didn't even have that vision. And like, I remember that being such an issue when we were going through the process of breaking up is that And maybe this is a male thing, but my ex was so focused on like, you're going to go out, you're going to find someone else. This is because you want someone else. And I was like, I didn't actually say this. This is just in my head. I was like, bitch, <laughs> I am not trying to find somebody else. I'm trying to find myself. Like I had, it was, it was so heavy and hard and like carrying you know, holding this thing together for so many years. I did not want another man at all. I didn't want a partner. I didn't want a woman. I didn't want any, but I just wanted to be alone. I just was like, well, what would it feel like energetically if the only people that I was responsible for were myself and my kids? And I did not want so. And I couldn't even I literally could not imagine. And I am a die hard romantic but it i couldn't even see that world for myself and i really thought like i'm going to be alone forever and it's going to be great and i'm going to like you know buy some cool house like in practical magic and like eventually my friends and i are all get old enough we'll just live in this house and like be the town witches or whatever like i had no desire to find someone again and the uh, the line that i love i heard this when i was like just at the start of my divorce, I heard someone say it takes a really good man to be better than no man at all. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. You better be really good because being single is freaking awesome. Awesome. And I know that I am speaking as someone who has had marriage, who has had kids. And so it's easy for me to say at 39 years old post-divorce with four kids, That I love being single, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And we always want what we don't have. But I'm just telling you, like, there is a world. I was, where was I? I was at the dentist recently, and there was a young gal who was in training who's helping the dentist who is a mom. And the young gal, the dentist said to the young gal, like, Oh, are you, did you do anything fun this week? And she's like, Oh my gosh. I just really needed it. I just slept all day, just slept all day. Sunday, just woke up and said, no, just slept. And at some point I went and rolled out to the couch. I watched Netflix for a couple hours and then I kept on sleeping. And the dentist and I looked at each other. We were like, oh my word. Like, girl, live that life. Live it to the fullest. Yes. If you are single and you're dreaming of being in a relationship or, you know, having kids or doing those things like- my gosh. Yes, I get it, but also while you're in this space, enjoy it. And for me, when I when I went through my breakup, that I knew, I just knew that even if this felt like a relief to me, it was still brutal. It was so brutal to go through divorce. It I I don't even have words for how horrible it was and how ugh I don't even want to, don't even want to deal. But I just knew that that was taking such an insane emotional toll on me and I needed the time to heal. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.